Hey, this is Michael. Thanks so much for listening to Soma's podcast. Before this week's teaching, I just want to take a second and thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It makes a huge impact. Enjoy the message. All right, so we are in, uh, we're in a flow of Exodus. If you were with us last week, we jumped off a series all summer long in the book of Exodus. And, uh, and so it's going to be a, um, a survey of the text. It's not going to be exhaustive. We're not going to hit line by line, verse by verse. It takes me about years to get through all of that. And so um, there's a lot that we need to cover as a church. So we're just going to, over the course of the summer, hit it, which means you got some homework. If you, in your own time, summer reading, read through the book of Exodus. If you need context, and you probably do, it's maybe been a while since you read Genesis, or you just forgot, or you've never read it, go back and read uh, the book of Genesis. In addition to, you're like, wow, he's coming at me with reading. But that, but in addition to Exodus, because we said last week, if you were with us last week, uh, Exodus is the second in a five-part little mini-series that Moses authors for us uh, called the Pentateuch. It's the book of five. That's all it means. It's not super fancy. Okay? It's a book of five at the front, front part of your Bible. And, uh, and it's a mini-series, so if you jump in halfway, it ain't going to make any sense. If you watch Star Wars, but you watch the third uh, episode, you know what I mean? It's just like, what is happening? Who is who, and where are we? And same thing when it comes to Exodus it's going to hit a lot stronger and it's going to make a lot more sense. And God's going to reveal some things to you if you give it context. And so um, to kind of catch us all up on where we're at and where we're going last week, we talked about we started off with a pretty dark um, scene in a pretty dark space in that the book of Exodus opens with an oppressed people and enslaved people a beaten people. Um, it has been uh, 400 years removed since Joseph was in Egypt and so, again, if you go back and read uh, Genesis, you get some context. Uh, we serve a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Abraham's uh, grandson, Jacob. Uh, he brings all of his family to Egypt. He piles them all in the fifth wheel. They roll to Egypt. There's about 70 of them when they come. And um, because of Joseph and the favor that God showed, Joseph saves the region, saves Egypt, uh, favors God's people. And they come with about 70 people. And over the course of 400 years, now they've grown. There's about 600,000 men. And so they, they were fruitful and multiplied. Okay, they made good on that command. And, and Pharaoh looks out and goes, there are too many Hebrews. We've got to do something about this subset of the population who don't, who don't worship me, who don't worship the gods that we worship. And so he began to oppress them, begin to enslave them, uh, put them on service projects, hey, build these buildings, but just people down to the point that he, he went as far and as crazy as an edict to kill all of the Hebrew males, all the new babies that were boys that were Hebrew, throw them in the Nile. And that's where we find uh, Moses. And so Moses comes on the scene under this edict. And Moses's mom gets this edict. The midwives get this edict. Uh, his sister plays a part. Even the, the daughter of Pharaoh, the, there's about five women who just undermine the edict. Uh, and so they're the ones that end up uh, delivering the deliverer, who is Moses. And so, mom, for for you know, for a few months, you can keep a baby quiet for a little while. But how often? I mean, how often and how long can you nurse that baby? And then it just and now it's loud. And so they're they're trying to figure out what can we do with Moses to save him. They put him in a basket and uh, they put him in the Nile. And then his sister just kind of walks along the river, uh, the riverbank to just make sure that he's okay. And he ends up getting into the hands of Pharaoh's daughter. She hears 
a baby. She sees a basket. She tells her servant, go get that basket. And then they bring it to her and she sees this, a Hebrew baby. What do I do with a Hebrew baby? And then his sister standing right there. She was like, I got an idea. Let me get you a nurse. Okay. Can I get you a Hebrew nurse? And she was like, sure. So she goes and mom and her mom is the one that ends up nursing Moses. And so he gets to spend time with his mom, but he also gets the palace. He's raised as a prince of Egypt. So he's raised in the courts of Egypt, knows their legal system, knows is educated as an Egyptian and has the benefit of all of that. Again, how crazy is God? So has the benefit of all that, but comes to a place and the book of Hebrews tells us this, I think Hebrews chapter 11, where, where Moses comes to a place where he realizes, yo, I'm, I'm a Hebrew. Like he, it hits him one day and he realizes who he is. And so he sees his people beaten. He, see his pe- he sees his people oppressed. And so he, he steps in. Uh, one brother is getting beat up pretty bad. And, and Moses actually steps in. Passage tells us he kills the Egyptian, right? He, he kills the guy that's, uh, that's hurting this Hebrew. And so, um, and so he has, he's, he's sent in exile to the desert. And so he leaves because he fears for his life. Pharaoh's trying to kill him um, because he's starting to fight back. And he's doing it poorly because there's a lot of Egyptians and there's one him. You know what I mean? It's a terrible plan, by the way. But anyway, so, God, so he's sent in exile in the desert. And uh, he's about 40 years old at this time. And he spends 40 years in the desert. Desert. He meets his wife, Zipporah. They start a family. And he's just like, I'm just going to watch sheep. That's my game plan. He's a shepherd in the desert. And he's like, all the dreams, all the things that I thought would probably come my way. I, was, I grew up in Egypt and, you know, anyway. So he's like, whatever. I'm just going to watch sheep and I'm in the desert. He's about 80 years old whenever we get to the passage that we see um, today. And we're going to be in Exodus 3 and the beginning of Exodus 4. And so um, I'm giving you all that paraphrasing to kind of get to where we are. And we're going to begin with verse 1 of Exodus 3. It says this, Moses was tending the flocks of Jethro, his father-in-law the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And so um, I I, I am a bit of a pyro. I don't know if there's people out here who love fires. I love fires. I don't know if it's just a dude thing or what, but like when you make a fire, you just have to stare at it. You know what I mean? You just stare at it. Everything could be happening around you, and it's just like you can't, you can't look away. You're just like, I have to look at this fire. And so it's mesmerizing. It's just like cool to just, I mean, it just kind of draws you in in a weird way, right? It just does. And, but also it will kill you. So it's, you know, so it's like you want to be drawn in, but only to a certain degree, you know, we have children, uh, we have five kids. And so a lot of, um, a lot of our responsibility or a lot, a lot of our activity involved with fires is just keeping kids alive, keeping them from jumping over the fire or into the fire or trying to eat the fire or what, like, like, it's just like, all right. So, um, so yeah, it draws you in, but it also is a little bit terrifying in the sense that it can't kill you. And it's, it makes so much sense that God would reveal himself, presence himself in this way to Moses. He's like, hey, let me draw you in, but also I will kill you. So, so that's kind of where we're at in this passage. And he shows himself in this burning bush. Um, and it's this strange experience for Moses. Because there's, there's no precedent for this up to this point is the only way that God's revealed it. It's not like a recurring theme for God. Like he doesn't just show up in a burning bush, you know, every book of the Bible. Uh, there's no church dedicated to the, the burning bush church of the Lord or whatever. It's like not a thing uh, that, that you see. Uh, there's other places in Scripture. 
where God shows up randomly in one weird way and there's no biblical precedent and then he never does it again. And which is to say we serve a God who, who does that. He'll meet us in strange ways. And, and the more that you follow Jesus and the more you listen to the Holy Spirit, the more the Holy Spirit will ask you. He'll just give you some weird marching order sometimes or some weird application for what now listen God's spoken in his word and so a lot of the questions that we have he's already given us the answers but sometimes Holy Spirit will just ask us to do stuff and it just feels weird or random and you're like what and then you go and do it and you're like oh okay cool and so that's kind of what's happening in this passage God shows up in a burning bush and so look at verse Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Again, he's a dude. He can't look away. It's a fire. He's like, I'm, I'm there. Uh, but and, and why the bush does not burn up. He couldn't figure it out. And so um, I love it because Moses makes a decision to lean in. It's a weird experience. And again, he's a believer in the one true God. He's thinking, this has got to be of God. This is really weird. But I'm going I'm to walk towards it even though I don't know um, how it's going to play out. Look at verse four. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And I love this because uh, God doesn't call on Moses until he walks towards the strange thing that he feels like this is probably of God. This is a weird happening. I'm going to pursue it, even though I don't really know how it's going to play out. And the Bible tells us that God sees Moses do that. And I would even say, God loves that Moses does that. And so he, so he answers, he's at Moses, and he calls his name. He says, here I am. God called him from within the bush, verse 4. Moses, here I am. And then verse 5, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And so God's letting Moses know in this moment. He's like, hey, this is, um, this is a moment, Right? And this, this moment's holy, not because of where you're standing, but because of who I am. And so uh, he wants him to kind of mark or commemorate what's taking place in the life of Moses. I'm presencing myself in a way that I haven't up to this point. And so mark this, not because of where we are, but because of who I am. And then verse 6, he says this, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Mo- Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And uh, I love that because we're going to read later on in chapter 33 that there comes a time in the life of Moses where he comes face to face with God. And the Bible tells us that he has a conversation with God as if he was talking to a friend. But in chapter 3, at the beginning of this encounter, he hides his face. He is scared. He is trembling. He is, and that's kind of where the, that's where the relationship starts. And by the time we get towards the end of Exodus, Moses is in a completely different space with his relationship with the Lord. And that's the goal. This is the goal. This is chapter 33, uh, verse 11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And so that's our goal is that we would grow in a relationship with God with an intimacy uh, and a, an understanding of that we're not uh, scared, um, but, we, but we lean in and we go, God is for us. God loves us. He wants more from me. He is a father. He is kind. He is slow to anger. Like, and so Moses gets to this place where he speaks to him face to face, and he talks to him like he's talking to a friend. That's real intimacy. And so 
The following verses um, that we read after this are really what I want to lean into today. It's a conversation between God and Moses on the call that he has on Moses' life. It's really all about the purpose for Moses. And Moses is probably thinking, I'm 80. Uh, I'm just going to die a shepherd. I'm good. Like, we're okay. Uh, But God calls him to be a deliverer of his people. And then there's this exchange where Moses basically makes all these excuses as to why he's a terrible candidate uh, to be the deliverer of God's people. And I don't know if you've ever been there where God will call you to do a thing. It could be start a business. It could be, uh, it could be a relationship. It could be stepping out on faith and doing something and being generous in a certain way. It could be being a missionary. God could call you to be a missionary. All kinds of crazy things that God could call you to do. And, and in that space, we begin to make excuses as to why we're terrible candidates for the call that God has on our life. And so I hope this encourages us towards purpose today uh, because um, that's what it's all about. This is Exodus 3.11. So after he calls Moses and he says, hey, I want you to be the deliverer of my people, uh, this oppressed people, this enslaved people group, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. You're going to say, let my people go. You're going to, you're going to emancipate, uh, God's people. And then Moses, he says this in verse 11, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And so the first question and the first, uh, the first response that we see from Moses is who am I? And this is the question that you and I ask all the time when we feel like God's calling us to do a specific thing. Who am I? And, and insecurity begins to kind of rear its head uh, because of whatever, whatever we've been told in our past or whatever view that we have of ourselves based on what other people say about us. And so the first excuse that Moses gives was all of his problems, all of his past, all of his baggage. God, have you been paying attention? Okay, your boy's in a desert. I'm a shepherd. I killed a brother in Egypt uh, about 40 years ago. That's bad for business. You know, like I'm just in general, I'm a bad candidate for this. I'm not really well positioned. Who am I? And then God answers him, but he doesn't tell him who he is. Look at how God answers him. He says this. God said, I will be with you. And so Moses says, who am I? And God says, who cares? I will be with you, right? Like, it's, like, that doesn't matter, Mo. Like, that's not what we're talking about. I, like, I, I am with you and all the other things that you're worried about or stressed about, all the insecurities that you have, I can fill every gap. Uh, I'm, I'm the God who's with you. And uh, God doesn't tell him all the things that we know because of context. You're a Hebrew who was raised in the palace. Are you kidding me? You're a Hebrew kid who was miraculously saved and, and I literally raised your rear end in the palace. And then, you know what? Even the murder, I can redeem that because now you're broken and now you're humbled and now you're in a position in a place that you're willing to like. like. So, he, so he, he doesn't give him all that. He just says, I don't care. Like, I will be with you. And so uh, we think we can only get close to God based on how worthy we are. And that's what Moses is thinking. He's thinking back about his life and he's going, all right, this is a bad assignment for me. I'm not that good. Uh, But none of us are worthy in and of ourselves. God is saying, you don't come to me based on your worth. You come to me based on my worth. You don't come to me based on who you are. You come to me based on who I am. You don't come to me based on what you've done. You come to me based on what I've done. That's what we see in the person of Christ. That is the gospel is that you and I are undeserving. We're really poor candidates. And yet he always only calls imperfect people to do his work. And so that's what we see in Moses. But he makes all these excuses for why he's a terrible candidate. And so 
He says, who am I? And I think it, it plays to this idea of insecurity and the idea is that we're supposed to overcome really condemnation. That's where a lot of us live. Uh, condemnation. Um, this idea of playing back the tapes. And this is the way the enemy works. And the Bible tells us this, that we have a condemner. You're, Satan is a condemner, right? And so the difference between him and Jesus is that, uh, is that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, he comes to rob you of the life that God wants for you to have. And one of the primary ways that he does that is he just tells you about all of the dumb junk you've ever said or done or thought. Things that we, we start to lean in and want to grow relationship with God. I want to have a more robust faith. I want to pray more. I want to join a small group. I want to be in a leadership track. I want to, I want to disciple people. I want to share my faith with others. And then the enemy is like, dude, do you remember what you did Wednesday? Are you kidding me? Do you remember what you said? Do you remember where you went? Do you remember? And this is what he does. This is the tactic because we have a great condemner whose only job is to just Mind you of how broken you are, how lost you are. I'm not saying you shouldn't take inventory of sin and rightly deal with it. Confess it, ask for forgiveness. I'm just saying if all you ever do is sit around and look at it, you're missing the point. God says in this text, hey, stop looking at like, who cares who you are? Look at who I am. And the times in my faith where I grew the most, most were the times not when I was looking at my brokenness and my past and all the wrong decisions, but the times when I just looked at who he was. Like, just look at the cross. Like, just look at resurrection. Like, just look at what he offers me. And that stirs my faith to a place to love God better and to love people better. Not looking at all the things that I've done poorly. And I go, all right, I'm going to manage it. I'm going to get it better. I'm going to get it on track. I'm not going to be as dumb. And he's like, no, you won't. Only if you look at me. So here's the difference between condemnation and, uh, and, and what Jesus offers us. So for, God never condemns. John three seventeen. After John 3.16, John 3.17 says that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He came into the world to save it. And so that's what he offers us. Uh, He didn't come to tell you how bad you were, but he came to show us how good he is. And so condemnation says, look at how bad you are. You're never going to change. You're never going to get better. You're never going to find a way out. And your sin now becomes your identity. The things that you've done becomes who you are. And when you make that transition and that change, the enemy's got, he's got a hook and, uh, and he's working you over. But conviction, and this is what God, this is where God wants us. Conviction says, here's where you missed the mark. Let me show you the way out. Let me show you the road away. Let me show you how to get back on track to the call and the purpose that I have for your life. And, uh, and I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to redeem you. I'm here to restore you. I'm here to help you find freedom. And so he's always leading us toward freedom, not based on our worth, but based on who he is and what he's done. And this is the first encounter that Moses has. It's not just an Old Testament truth. You see it in New Testament, Titus 3, 4 through 5. When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not but because of uh, righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. And so the first excuse we have A lot of us, we have that inferiority complex. We have that insecurity. We have that question, who am I? And we have to overcome, we have to overcome condemnation. And then look at what happens next. This is the next excuse that Moses gives for his purpose and his call. Moses said to God, okay, cool. Got it. Check. Now suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And so he shifts from who am I? And now Moses is going, who are you? Who are you? Who do I say? Like, it's a faith. It's just, it's, it's uh, exemplary of kind of the level of trust and the level of faith. I would imagine Moses probably 
um, struggled with some, some doubt, probably struggled with some, like, listen, life has not been exactly how I thought it would play out. Um, and I've seen my people oppressed. I've seen people enslaved. I've seen people beaten. I've seen mass genocide. And this is God's people. And I'm going, where's it been? Like, it's been 400, like, where, where have you been? We've been oppressed for a long time. I'm kind of, I understand you're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but what is your name and who are you? And help me give some definition. I'm getting ready to go to Egypt where they have a God for everything. There's literally a God for everything. Everybody's got a name. They got idols, like, and I'm going to roll up and I'm just going to be like, yeah, I'm here, uh, but I don't really have a name for the God that I worship. Like, who are you? And so, uh, I love this in this passage, Moses is saying, um, He said, I need you to give me some definition as to who you are. And God does this in verse 14. He says, okay, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what I want you to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So don't box me in. Right? I'm getting ready to blow up every category you have for gods. I'm telling you, that's great. Raw, awesome. God of sun, God of Nile, God of fertility, God of who cares? I am. Like whatever you need. Whatever, whatever provision you lack, whatever healing you require, whatever, like, whatever you need, I am. And so um, uh, names are super important, right? We know this. Uh, we were at a gender, Brooke and I were at a gender reveal yesterday uh, with some friends. And it made me think about like just and working through this passage made me think about how important, how significant names are and how much we sweat as parents generally overnaming our children, kind of setting them up. You know what I mean? We get the baby back in the day and now that people just Google it. But back in the day, we would get the books, like the baby name books had like 10,000 baby names, super overwhelming. And then you'd get the name, right? You'd lock in on the name. You're so excited. And then your best friend named their kid that and you want to stab them. You remember that? And it's just like, bro. And so, but anyway, so we would stress out over name. Nobody wants to name their kid something that means something terrible, right? Like name that means dummy or smells funny or something like that. You don't want to do, you're just like, what does that name mean? We want something that means like mighty warrior princess from on high or something like that. You know what I mean? Like godly and beautiful or something like that's the type of, we're like, what does it mean? Let's give real meaning to them. Let's set them up. Uh, in a way to win. And in the same way, God's saying it's really important. Every time in your Bible, you see a reference, Jehovah, every time uh, you see Yahweh, every time you see more than, more than likely, it just says the Lord in all caps. That's what it's referring to. I am who I am. We just did a series not that long ago called I am. If you're just joining us, go back online and watch that series. Cause Jesus shows up on the scene. He leans into this even more and he gives definition to who I am is. And he comes in the fullness of grace and truth, comes in the full, he comes to, to fulfill every bit of the law. And he goes, here's, let me define for you what I am is when Jesus shows up on the scene. But God blows up every category for Moses. And he goes, you think, when you think of God's, you think small, Moses, you think small. You, 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 and not just Moses, but all of us. He's like, you are limited in your faculties. I'm trying to help you. I am a better, uh, better translation is, is I be who I be, which is super fun to say. Right. But that's literally, he's just like, listen, I, this is who I am. And so the idea for us and the thing that we have to overcome is we have to overcome doubt. We struggle with doubt. And so God is saying, enlarge your view of me. Trust that I'm the source of everything that you're going to need. Jeremiah puts it this way. Jeremiah 32, 17, Sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. 
We used to have a song back in the day. It was a hymnal. Or it was a hymn. Uh, uh, Nothing is too difficult for thee. Remember that back in the day? Just me. Nothing is too difficult for thee, great and mighty God. Yeah, it's just me. Okay, cool. Anyway, so, but we, but, but Jeremiah 32 is like, God can do anything. He's sovereign. He's in control. He can do anything. And so the application is when we're in a hard place, when we're up against pain, suffering, things that we didn't, we didn't realize would come uh, and hit us, instead of telling our problems, uh, instead of tell, you know, praying to God and just complaining and telling him about all of, our, all of our problems, we need to look at our problems and then just remind our problems how big our God is. Like, that's such a great exercise. You're facing uh, illness. You're facing um, uh, indecision about where to work or a lack of resources or relationship was or whatever. Just tell your problems how awesome and how big your God is. I'm not saying don't pray to God. I'm just saying remind your problems. It's an exercise for you, really, and it stirs your faith. This is the faithfulness of God. This is his track record time and time again. He just comes through. And so we can't trust in who he is be determined by our current set of circumstances, which is our story over and over again. When things are going well, right? Life is good. Got a little pay raise. Took a vacation. Just ate a steak. Praise the Lord. Like we're just, he is so good. God is so good. Oh, yes, I'm just blessed. Hashtag blessed. Everything's great. And then when, when life comes, right, and we experience the trials that Jesus said that we would experience and the suffering he, he said we would experience, we're like, God, where are you? And he's like, I have not changed this whole time. I'm still, like, I'm, you get to learn some things in this moment, but I'm, I'm consistent, and you need to trust me in the middle of, of what you can't see. So we've got to trust him that he's able, that he's mighty to save, that he works all things together for the good of those who are in Jesus. He's a great I am. And so, um, so he, said, he starts off, he asks the question, who am I? And then he asks the question, who are you? And he's overcoming uh, security and he's overcoming some doubt and uh, he's overcoming condemnation. And then in verse one of chapter four, here's what Moses, this is the next excuse. So God answers them and then he has another excuse. Moses said, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? And so think about how insane this is. Moses is standing there in the presence of God. This is a miracle. He's literally having a conversation and he's like, yeah, but what if they don't, what if like, what if people make fun of me? And I feel like more than anything else we cover today, this is the one that we struggle with. Fear of man keeps us from the purpose and the call in our lives. Over and over and over again. What if they? What if they say something? What if they care? What if they? It's like, what are we talking about? And so, um, what if they don't believe me? And it is a little crazy. Like if you were Moses and you had to show up to the Egyptians and to the Israelites and you were like, guys, listen, I had a conversation uh, with an Isaiah uh, the other day and it was on fire and um, told me to take my shoes off and come and emancipate you. And so it just feels like an insane thing. Like God was in a, in a, as a flame and there was a, a gardenia and it was like, and we were there in the desert. And it happened like people, he's like, no one's going to believe this story. This is insane, which is always what happens anytime God calls you something, um, outside of our comfort zone. It's always in that awkward moment. It's always in the risk. It's always in stepping out and being faithful. God honors that trust and that faith. And he shows up. Um, he's always going to call us to do things that are outside of our comfort zone. And so do we care more about what people think or more about what God's told us to do? This is John 12. This is a super sobering passage. 
Um, and so this is New Testament. This is Jesus is on the scene. People are starting to hear Jesus and they're starting to assent and they start to hear this gospel message and they start to hear about the love and the grace of God and they start to hear that Jesus is kind of coming to fulfill all of this and also turn a religious system on his head and instead of religion you get relationship and they're like, whoa. And they're really into this. But here's, here's what keeps them from a real relationship with God. Look at verses 42 and 43 of chapter 12 of John. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. Leaders in the church. They believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for the fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. What are people going to think? What about my social standing? Right? Like I'm in the club. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm in the club. I'm in the right network. I'm in the right click. I got like, what are people going to think? Uh, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. And so some of us, this is where we are. We know what God's calling us to do. And yet for fear of others, we miss out on a great call because the fear of man proves to be a snare that we step in time and time again. Small ways, big ways. Uh, many of us are in an intersection right now. You're in an intersection right now. Uh, and you care more about uh, what other people think than you do about what God thinks. Here's the thing we have to overcome to step into purpose is we have to overcome fear. So I'll give, you some t I'll give you some practical examples when it comes to our faith right now. Because I don't know what you're dealing with or what your specifics are. But some things we have to overcome. Like, do you pray in public? Like, when you're hanging out with friends, you go to dinner or you take your family to lunch, do you pray in public? Or, or uh, is that moment marked by, all right, we're good. We're good. Are people kind of looking around. There's a lot of people around here. We're good. You guys just eat. And, or you pray, but it's like real quick. You know what I mean? You never really close your eyes. You're just like, Lord, bless this food. Amen. All right. All right. We're good. Bless it. Uh, and some of you are like, well, I, can I don't have to say the blessing. What are religious? I don't have to say the blessing. I can just pray without ceasing. But do you? Like, do you pray openly and publicly? Or are you afraid of what other people think? Someone's going through a hard thing, and you're like, hey, let's pray about it. Is that our response or is it like, all right, man, good luck with that, bro. Have fun. All right. So it's like, but we say we believe one thing and yet we don't practice the things that we, and, and we know, it, we know it helps. We know prayer works. And yet we're like, well, let's just don't, ah, people think it's weird. I think it's weird. Or, um, at, when was the last time you shared the hope of Jesus with somebody or you shared God's truth with someone who was going through something hard. And you go, you know what? I actually did a study on that one time. I actually know some scripture that I can apply to this situation. I know some things that will help you. I can't help you, but God can help you. Here's some things that Jesus has taught me in my own life. Just share your testimony. When's the last time we did that? And, and not with people who share your convictions, not with people who sit next to you in church, but with strangers or with people at work or people, the hard space, that awkward space of, I don't know if they're going, if they're, if they're going to, I don't know what they're going to do. <laughs> I don't know what they're going to say. That's where the rubber meets the road, man. It's like, that's where you have to apply your faith boldly and just overcome fear, put it out there and then watch God work in people's lives. That's what it's about. Worship. We even do this. Fear of man is even present in a space like this on a Sunday, right? We come in on a, on a Sunday and, uh, and, and we're singing and the Bible is clear what worship really should look like. Um, and, and, and I'm not trying, I'm not dialing in on a specific tradition or denomination or whatever. I know our church family is full. All of us kind of come from different backgrounds and bends. But biblically, it looks like singing. It looks like clapping. 
It looks like shouts of joy. It looks like dancing. It looks like, like all these are things in scripture. And we come and we're a little bit like, we just watch a little bit. You know what I mean? Sometimes we watch because we're like, man, before, and you just kind of take an inventory, like who's around, you know what I mean? And, um, cause I've been there. I've, I know what it's like. I've been there myself where you're in a space and you're just trying to be cool. It's like, I got a cup of coffee. You know what I'm saying? I got that iced coffee. I feel good. I'm just going to stand here. I'm just going to watch. But at some point, God does a thing in you where you just, man, my only proper response is praise. My only proper response is worship. There's something in that. When I give him what he's worthy of, when I give him what he's due, he actually gives me some things. And it's for me. And it's for like my joy, for my freedom. God does a work in me when I worship. And, but we just kind of come into the space. We just kind of stand there. But I remember one day, um, where you make that transition, you know, that transition where you're just like, you're like, I'm going to raise my hand, bro. I'm raising my hand. I'm going to do it. Ah, oh, I'm going to do it. I've never done it before. It's kind of weird. I see people excited. I see people raising hands. You even drive to church and you're making a decision. You're like, I'm going to do it. If they sing my jam, if they sing my jam during the bridge, your boys, right. And so you get pumped up and you're amped and you're like, I'm just going to go all in. And when you do it, you think you're just like, yeah, you think you're laid prostrate before the Lord, but you hit them with one of these. You're just like, yes, Lord. Yeah. Oh, and even in that moment, you're worried about what people think. You're like, people are looking at me, people are looking at me, but I got my raised. Jesus. Right. So you're so, and you just put it back down. You're like, yeah, so excited. Or you hit him with the sway, you know, it's like, you don't hit him with the sway. Um, but it's just, it's a fear of man thing where we sit around and we're just, we're just way too, con- and I'm telling you from experience, so I'm not mad at you. These are just things that I feel, and I know you feel them too. You're in a public environment and you go, is this a moment where I can pray and it's socially acceptable? Who cares? Is this a moment where I can offer people the truth, at least what, what I know? Because I don't know all the things. I just know what God's done in my life. And I, I, may be, uh, I may be short on kind of biblical knowledge, but the things I do know I can share and I can empty my cup in this moment. Or do I hold back and I go, all right, good luck, man. Have fun. I got some things that God's given me that I can offer you, and it's actually going to give me over to more, but I'm just going to hold back on my purpose and my call in this moment. Worship, same thing. What, where are your fears what are you afraid of? This, listen, pray for, we're talking about graduates. Pray for our students. Pray for our students. Like it, like the future depends on it. Pray for our kids. Pray for the next generation. Pray. Just pray that God would give them over to boldness, give them over to conviction, help them to become leaders and impact right where they're at. Because it's a dark space we're headed into, right? A dark season uh, in the world. And so just give them over to boldness, overcoming fear. And so um, some of us, what's keeping us from God, what's keeping us from the call in our lives is how we see ourselves. But instead of looking at your past and your brokenness and your sin, just stare at Jesus and then watch him transform you right? Uh, he'll give you over to more. We need to look at the cross. We need to look at the resurrection of Christ and the grace offered us, uh, even when we were at our worst. And then he, he gives us over to more. Some of us, our problem is, is our God too, your God's too small. So God will call you to do a thing and you're like, can't afford that. It's like, what? <laughs> What are we talking about? I own all this, bro. Like, <laughs> like I'm calling you to do a thing or, or, um, People who are called to missions, but they're afraid to go and do missions because, man, what will my family think? Family is not going to like that. No, they're not. They're not going to like that. When Brooke and I, when we stepped out to start Soma, we had way more people tell us not to do it than we had people tell us to do it. 
that is high risk. Don't do that. The success rate, the blah, 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 blah. It's just like, and, and there has to be a state conviction on this is really what God's calling me to do. And I'm just willing to risk it. And if it fails, it fails, but I feel like I'm being faithful in this. And, um, there's, there's, there's way more examples of me missing out. So I just, I'm not the hero in this story. So just because we did it one time, there's way more examples of me missing out for fear of what other people may think for insecurities that I have for what God really desires to do in and through our church than, than me answering. So I'm just do inventory for yourself. What does it look like for me? We need to see that God is the great. I am who's able, who's miracles and, uh, and for some of us, it's the fear of others. But look, fourth, there's a fourth excuse that Moses gives. Uh, and I'm going to end here. He says this in Exodus 4.10. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant. Uh, I've never been eloquent. Neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. And so uh, he, he gives this phrase in this passage. He says, I've never. I've never. Um. Moses is like, listen, you got the wrong guy. As a matter of fact, Moses even goes on to say, send somebody else. Send someone else. He's the most reluctant prophet. I think that's one of the reasons why God picked him. But, uh, but he, he begins to make all these excuses, and he's like, I can't talk. It's amazing to me and so beautiful that God picked the brother who couldn't speak, speak who, who had a stutter uh, to become just the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. It's wild. I can't speak. I'm not, I don't have it. And let me write the Pentateuch real quick. Like, like God used him in profound ways, uh, in his weakness and, um, and in his humility, but it's because he would, he, he had to step outside of what he was comfortable with. And so in order to grow in your relationship with God, in order to step to your purpose, you're going to have to do things that you've never done before. I have never So people who, people who are making a huge impact in the globe for the kingdom, uh, for the church of Christ. And I'm not talking about vocational ministry. I'm talking about at their job. I'm talking about in their marriage. I'm talking about like Monday through Saturday, people who are making a huge kingdom impact or people who are willing to step outside and do things that they've never done before. We look at people and here's the faith and we go, man, I wish I could do that. And it's like, they're doing things that they... They had never done those things prior to doing those things, and it required faith and trust in a God to, to fill the gap. He can, he can do things. He's with me. Who cares who I am? He's with me. So Moses says, I don't speak. I've never been eloquent. And so, um, and so sometimes we make excuses based on the things that we've never done. And when we say, God, I trust you, I'm taking a step towards you, it requires risk and it requires faith. And I'm putting myself out there because you asked me to, and so even though I don't know how it's going to work out, how it's going to play out, I trust you. Um, and so we have to overcome reluctance. This is the last thing we overcome. We overcome reluctance. And, and um, for some of us, we know God is asking us to do specific things, and yet we make excuses. There's a reluctance there. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm insecure. Uh, I'm a poor candidate. Do you know who I am? Uh, also, our, our, the way that we view our God, um, it, it will determine the boldness like, of action. It will determine how far we're willing to go, how great of a faith we display, what we ask for, what we dream for, what we want him to do in our lives. And he's going, have a bigger view of me. Have a bigger view. And stop thinking about what other people think. 
Who cares? I'm with you. Live your life in such a way that you're just reminded that I'm with you. And, um, and then also stop making excuses or giving over to reluctance that you've never done the things I'm calling you to do. Of course you've never done them. Of course. But we do this all the time, man. We do, we do this with things that we know. We know God's already told us in his word uh, to love him, to love others, that we're supposed to be. If we want to become great, we've got to become servants. What does that look like? in our families? What does that look like at work? What does that look like? And yet we still, we just kind of put off leveraging our talents and our time and our treasure for others. I'll do it later. It's a busy season. We're busy. <laughs> Purpose don't wait. So it's, we're busy, right? And so, um, and we miss out. I'll do it in the fall. We'll do it in the fall. Fall comes around. We'll do it next year. No, you won't. Right? And it's, never, it's not based on your schedule or, or ball or like any of the things that we make excuse for. None of those things are bad. It's just, how am I being faithful to what I know God has called me to do right now? Am I serving others? Am I leading my family well? Am I generous? Am I open-handed? Do I give? Do I help advance his cause, his mission? Am I, am I, are there things that I could that I could? That God's given me, stories he's given me, truths he's given me that I could offer to other, other people and be a vehicle to, to make an impact in his world. And so often we, we wait. Or we miss out entirely. Brooke and I, uh, our family, we had a funeral yesterday for her nana. And uh, she passed away this past week. She had lung, lung cancer. While we were gone for those few weeks, the, the first or second week we were gone, Brooke got a phone call. Hey, nana has lung cancer. She's got about a month to live. And we knew she was in poor health, um, and, and she was a believer. Her faith and her trust was in Jesus, but it's also really hard to lose people who are that meaningful to you. And Nana to Brooke, she's the one, literally Brooke, um, she grew up in the United Methodist Church, went through confirmation with Nana, sat in the car uh, while Nana unpacked the gospel and then accepted Christ. This is the lady that, so, uh, so it's that lady to her. And we're sitting there yesterday kind of celebrating her life and remembering her. And um, it, when I talked to the kids and I talked to the grandkids, everyone was talking about her experience at this mission that she was a part of later in life. She was uh, 61 and it was towards Concord and she started an after school program for underprivileged kids, specifically Hispanic kids. She didn't speak Spanish. She just felt called by God to create space. And there was about 20 kids that showed up. She was like, cool, I'm going to help them with their homework. I'm going to love on them. I'm going to pour into them. Came alive. Came alive. Why? Because she felt called to do it. Never done it before. Took a risk. Stepped out. It's the thing that overwhelmingly gave her life purpose. If you asked her, hey, what are one of the things you just felt God in? You just felt like I matter. She was like, that. And I feel like there's a lot that's like left on the table for me and you. There's a lot of things that we don't say yes to, that we don't risk, that we don't, that we don't trust God, even though we know he's calling us to do it. And so um, I, I, my prayer for us is that we would just be bold and we would not make excuses, but we would accept the call and we would remember who we are but because we remember who he is. And, and it's not based on our merit or our worth, but it's just based on what he's done and it's based on who he is and it's based on his faithfulness. He's with us. So whatever he's calling you to do, God's with you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much that you're a God who came and you, 
um, you walked among us and you, um, in, in full divinity, God, in, 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 in imperfection, you clothed yourself in, in humanity. You stepped into our mess and you came on ransom and on mission and on rescue to redeem a people. And you lay down your life only to take it up again so that we could have forgiveness and we could have freedom, but also that we can have new life. And, um, and so you came to be with us. You came to be with us, but also even as you leave God, you send your spirit that you can still be with us. And so in this moment right now for every Jesus follower, God, you're right here. You're with us. God, for the person who's here, who's far from you, who doesn't know you, God, you love them. You are after them. You desire a relationship with them. And you're doing everything that you can to draw them in. Draw them in. Everything that you can to persuade, to call. You're using people in their lives. You're using conversations. You're using invitations to church. You're using a history and a context. And, and even by your spirit, you're just convicting them of some things. Hey, there's some things in your life that, man, you got to work on. There's some things in your life that you haven't laid down. There's some things in your life you haven't surrendered. There's some, you got to go all in with Jesus. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. So risk it. It's worth risking all of it. because of who he is. And so uh, if you're here today and you're like me and, and, and we're talking through some of these things, these excuses that we make, I know there's excuses in my own life. There's times where I have fear of man. There's times where I feel insecure. There's times where I forget the bigness of the God that I serve. Um, and so think about what that's like for you and just ask God to give you over to more. God, give me over to more. Help me to be bold. Help me to be courageous in my faith. Help me to stand up. Help me to be a leader. Not in my own ability, but just because you're with me. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, I believe God uh, wants to meet you in this space. I believe he's uh, made himself present uh, and, and made himself visible by his word and by his spirit. That's how he does it. And, and the Holy Spirit will just reveal to you the person of Jesus. Even in, a, even in a text on Exodus 3 and 4, you just see Jesus for who he is. The life that he offers you, the life lived. This is what love looks like. This is what it's like to serve. I'm going to lay down my life so that you can, you can live. And so he offers you the cross and resurrection. And you go, I, the only thing that makes sense for me is to surrender fully my life to him. And so if you're here today and you want to come alive in Jesus, you want to fully surrender your life to him, I would love to lead you into prayer. Bible talks about the power of confession. Just seal a moment where you just own on faith and just stop caring what people think. And you go, I'm all in. I want to give my life to Jesus. I'm tired of playing games. If you're here today and that's you, I'd love to lead you in a prayer. Just right where you're at, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand and just say, that's me boldly. I want to surrender my life to Christ. And I want to go all in today on faith, trusting that God has more for my life. Right where you're at, I believe God will meet you. I believe Jesus did everything necessary for your salvation 2,000 years ago. The moment you experience is the moment you realize it. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. Thank you for leading me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for offering freedom. And I pray that you'd give me over to more and more of that as you lead me in the days ahead. God, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.